I think I've been getting that wrong lately. Um, and I just caught myself because I always run my stupid math for a minute before I forget to have before I have the guests introduce themselves. I'm evolving. I'm becoming aware. It took 473 episodes. <laughs> How about you introduce yourself, sir? Ah, well, good afternoon, good morning, good evening to whatever people are watching in the world. My name is Ewan Spence. I'm based in Edinburgh in Scotland. Waves the flag because we've got one of those as well. Um, I've spent most of the 21st century making a living on the internet, be that podcasting, writing, videos, coaching sessions, from uh, music, films, through technology, and back at the other side again. Mm-hmm. And that's 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 good news for me. I started podcasting in December 2019 above my parents' garage. I moved out about two months ago at age 30. Cool. My first podcast appearance was November 2004. My first published podcast was February 14th, 2005. So you've got you've got a good decade and a half on me. I've got a good decade. Unfortunately, I didn't make that much money out of it. So unlike others, but there you go. Sometimes it's for the love. Hey, you know what? I I have not made a penny. Four hundred and seventy three episodes, and I haven't made a penny, and I love it. I want to make a penny, but I love it. So the secret is not here. The secret is to lean on things like Patreon and stuff, which you've seen you've got, and you've got your merchandise and everything. Uh-huh. Has anybody ever bought any merchandise? A couple people, not a whole so lot. And did you make a profit from that? I did, so I have made a so, penny. So I don't want to hear I haven't made any money from <laughs> podcasting from you. All right, you're meant to be the land of the free and the entrepreneurs and the business. <laughs> so it's just like, oh, I've not made any money. Uh, yes, you have, sh- unless the IRS are watching. In which case, no, you haven't, I haven't made a penny. penny. I've never made a month I've, i'm not even in the united states i'm i'm in canada um, uh, yes you are there's a flag behind uh, you what are you what are you doing it's not the canadian flag i know that okay this podcast is over um but admittedly canada's only got nine states and there's nine stars maybe it's an alternative canada flag but i'm not sure just give it away so as 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 so i found you because I like I always tell everyone, I'm always trying to expand my horizons and have on more and more diverse guests. I don't like to limit myself. It's tomorrow for the third time is Charlie Duke, who is the tenth man to walk on the moon. I've had on. Uh, I, I interviewed uh, the last man to walk on the moon, Gene Cernan, a couple of years really? ago. He's dead now. Um, and yeah, because he had a film I called "Last Man on the Moon." Uh-huh. It was a documentary film. It's great to watch. One of the things that Gene did when he was on the moon is. He wrote his daughter's name in moon dust just before he left. I didn't know that. And that means when all of us are, when we're all gone, Forever. when everything is disappeared and turned to dust, his daughter's name will still be written on the moon. What a father. What a, what an absolute, what a beast. That's beautiful. That's, I've now met someone else who's in, who's interviewed a man on the moon. I have met my equal. I, uh, I always kind of uh, I, I, I talk shit. I always say, hey, I've interviewed a guy in the moon. Joe Rogan hasn't. And I just met someone who has. Um, but yeah. Many of them left now. I think there's only three or four of them still alive. Four uh, alive. And Buzz Aldrin. No, hold, hold on. Buzz and... Charlie Duke. Charlie Duke. Um, is Albin still with us? I think so. Albin and... I know Lovell didn't walk on the moon. Um, should have, but I wish they'd given him 16. Yeah. Um, John Young? We still got John Young? I'm not sure. I know. I know. But I've had yeah. I've had Buzz Aldrin's secretary on this podcast twice. But Buzz, I believe, is officially finished with podcasts. And I, I think, 
and the th- You're right too. I mean, it's like one thing they did sixty years ago. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's and the third, because you know, well, they're. I mean, listen, let's just call it what it is. They're very old now, and I do believe that one of them I reached out to. I kind of read between the lines. I think it was his daughter I spoke to. I forget the name, but he's. She said basically her father's not doing any more interviews. I think his perhaps is maybe his memory's going, and it's. I don't know, preserve a legacy. Maybe it's, he doesn't want to be on. And I I completely understand and respect. Uh, Here we go. Harrison Schmidt, Charlie Duke, Dave Scott, Dave Scott, who we missed because probably because of the stamps uh, and buzz. That's the four that we still have. Yeah. It might've been, I'm not sure. One of the ones I reached out to the, the, the kind of feeling I got was, uh, they were in their later years and I mean these are people in their 90s now Charlie I mean Charlie Duke you wouldn't know man he just started working at a defense contractor last year doing something new he's coming on for the third time tomorrow he emails me from his iPhone I mean Charlie Duke you'd have no idea you know best you know if if I was wanting somebody to interview any astronaut um, the um, astronaut from STS-26 and uh, Mike Mullane Mike Mullane. Mike Mullane is a shuttle astronaut. He was one of, he was one of the TFNG crew, uh, and he's done three shuttle flights, and two of them are military shuttle flights, which is basically we went up, we did stuff, we came back down again. Well, well, that's I'm I'm glad you brought that up. There's a what's is it is it Guy? I think Guy Buford. There's yep. a Guy Buford was one actually was on one of Mullane's flights. Yeah, he was on 26, yeah, yeah, I think. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a there's a uh, there's a YouTube channel I love. Um, What's, I think it's Dark Docs. He, it's, it's a guy that does like five different channels, Dark Docs, Dark Skies, Dark Footage. It's it's all kind of Cold War history stuff, but he has yeah. a great one on the... Yeah, that's it. That is the uh, 26 badge. Yes, sir. 26 badge with... Uh, oh, the names on the site here, actually. Yeah. Da, 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 da. I can't make them out in this light. Gibson, Mullane, Ross, Shepard... Uh, and Gartner, so no, that's 26. So, Malay must be one of the late ones, but yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. a tiny bit of space memorabilia there yeah. for you. He's got, yeah, there's a, yeah, there's an episode I watched, uh, short, maybe like 10 minute video, and yeah, it was on the, it was on the secret military flights. So, I mean, I had always known that the Air Force had a hand in the development of the space shuttle, they wanted the bay larger so it could carry up bigger things. Well, I think that, that that's been confirmed as stuff. One of the reasons the shuttle bay is 60 foot by 15 foot. Um, yeah, we were going to talk about tech, sorry, dudes. Um, this is, still, <laughs> space this is, tech. Stuff this is tech, this is tech, yeah. right? Um, is it's the same size as the hexagon satellites. Hexagon, Corona, Um, Keyhole. Yeah. So the assumption has always been that um, STS-26 was one of the ones that took up a keyhole, put it over the side and brought it back again. The rumors, the rumors are that it didn't work. Yeah. So they had to come back to it three days later, do a secret spacewalk without telling anybody, fixed it, and then put it back into orbit. So they landed. They all got a medal, but they weren't allowed to show anybody their medals because it was state national secret. That's some Tom Clancy to this shit, day, man. That's some Tom Clancy shit. <laughs> it's- to this day, they've never said what happened. But um, ISS, 
there was one a couple of years back when they said, right, we're going to do the 200th spacewalk. So we're going to do, we're going to do, we're going to make a big noise about it. And then somebody came along and said, guys, whatever you do, don't call it the 200th spacewalk. Why? We've counted them. Yeah, we know. Don't call it the 200th spacewalk. Oh, because no one else knows. So somewhere there's one more. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. So Mike Mullane has actually done a really good autobiography. So it's called Writing Rockets. You should grab it from Amazon. It is one of the most honest books about being an astronaut because there's an entire chapter about how he's just absolutely petrified of the what, launch. In this what is it? Up. Riding rockets? Riding rockets. Okay, I'm yeah. looking it up right now. Mike Mullane. And he's ex-USAF, so he knows what he can talk about, what mm-hmm. he can't talk about, but I think he'd be a fascinating guest. Man, well, I got to try to get him. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I got to find it right now. Uh, the, the, the space shot, there's a great, it's a little, it's like a 10 minute video. Um, where is it? Yeah, I mean, I follow the dark dog stuff as well. Okay, yeah. good. Okay, then you, yeah, yeah. The, the the secret. I'm going to email it to you right now. Um, yeah, it's it will talk about the NRO and stuff, which the National Reconnaissance Office was. Um, have a look also for. Uh, I'm just going to check my Amazon list. There's yeah. another one you might like. Um, um, and it's it's called it's into the black or into the deep. Let me just into the black. No, that, yeah, I've read that book. That's a great one. Yeah, best yes one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the whole. What I love about it. Is uh is when they're talking about Guy Buford in the Dark Docs video, they say they went up there, and you know it's not, there's not a screw up there that isn't accounted for. So it's not like it's not like maybe you could kind of they're all up there. Apart from one corned beef sandwich. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and well, they brought up some stuff in their pockets, but yeah, the way they describe it is is like at one point, uh, Guy got ready for his own like he went into the back bay and everyone else pretended not to notice and he went up and he released this little rotating thing for the department of defense really really tiny like the size of a basketball came back in and no one said a word i'm like it's it's real like the like like the like the splinter cell like conspiracy movie it's real that stuff's real and it's you gotta wonder what the hell is going on right now I think with everything, every every single military campaign, every single war that's been fought has always had things happen that, that spend hundreds of years coming out. And it's not a conspiracy or anything, um, although that makes great clickbait titles. Um, it's just, you know, you don't talk about that. Like for a long time, um, oh, hold on, let's, let's go back. You might have seen this in Dark Dogs. Have you heard about uh, the man who never was? No. It's from World War Two. So this is 1943, um, and the Allies are getting ready to invade Axis Europe, and they're coming up from the Mediterranean. And everybody, you know, you look at where everything is, you go, you're going through Sicily. <laughs> you are looking at the sea distance. We know where you are. You're going through Sicily. Yeah. So all of the uh, Axis forces defended Sicily. But they wanted to try and convince him that they were going through Crete or further to the east. So the British came up with this wonderful, wonderful campaign. They took a body and chucked it out a submarine on the coast of Spain, washed up ashore, and the German intelligence, through a Spanish agent, found that there was this signals officer I think it's a signals officer who was carrying secret documents about the invasion of Crete. I have heard of that. <laughs> it's and go, yeah. They, they fell for it. The, the Germans went right. They said they moved all the tanks out of that 
half the defences is Italy still still a rough bit of fight. You still can go all the way through Italy, and that's where my grandfather, one of my grandfathers, was walking up to Berlin the hard way from Tunisia. Took him a couple of years, and there were a couple of problems along the way, and. But, but yeah, that, that sort of thing is like, was never really talked about. There was a film in the 50s that kind of alluded to some of it. Um, but, you know, and exactly the same, you know, signals intelligence. We, we, you've, you've seen the impact of that in the last week with uh, the um, instant messaging client that uh, various underground criminal elements in Australia uh-huh. thought was completely clean. It's like, no, the US government wrote it. Um, they once, there was one time the one of the governments set up a fake bank um, to get one one drug dealer so they could track the payments going through but they were so good at it that countless other criminal organizations started to use this bank so they had to like share it out with all the intelligences they're also going right right we got this bank it's not a real bank but it's a bank <laughs> yeah i mean at a certain point you gotta just wonder if they're like man we're making a killing on this bank like maybe we just go in a bank but that's another that's another kind of like odd that's like an odd thing that happens a lot in the intelligence community is you can't just pounce on the guy as soon as you get him because that will give away your sources and methods. And if you're and if you're acting like a like a light to moths and they're all coming to you, I mean that's that that's a hairy thing, right? Because what if you know if we take down if we take down Mr. Spence today, we can save ten lives. But they know that Mr. Spence is now having, you know, talking to Tommy, and Tommy's friends with these people. If we sacrifice these ten lives in a year, we might be able to save a hundred thousand. But that does happen where they monitor child trafficking rings because it, it branches out into bigger and bigger networks. The one that's now proven false because of history and because we now know the time skills, but was generally always regarded to be true, uh, was uh, Coventry in World War II, where the British forces cracked the code that said there is going to be this mass bombing raid on Coventry, the city of Coventry, and we can stop it. And they went... No, we're not stopping it because then they'll know we've broken the codes. Yeah. That, that's, so yeah. Now, then that now it actually turns out now we've looked at the past that the, the decoding of the message that said they're going to bomb Coventry happened after the fact. But for a long time that was that was the sort of accepted knowledge. Yeah. That it was like Yep, I'm going to do that. Yeah, there's a but bigger thing. Again, the, the Enigma codes and code breaking and all of that, it's a fascinating subject. Yeah. Um, yeah, the techniques change. Yeah. Um, but you can't, uh, yeah, you can't, you can't spoil. human ingenuity. So Enigma, you, the first layer was you, you would press a key on the keypad. See, like you press the letter A and it would turn into another letter and then mm-hmm. it would go into the code machine. So there would be this sort of first level of we're going to change all the letters and that's like 26 to the power of whatever, whatever, whatever. Ridiculous number of combinations. And the British could not work out that first line of defence. Couldn't get past that. And then the Polish code breakers who'd escaped from continental Europe um, said, yeah, we cracked that ages ago. Oh, what is it? Well, it's dead easy. A equals A, B equals B, C equals C, D equals D. They just basically wired everything in a straight line. And none of the Brits thought, well, we should check the obvious one first, should we? Oh, um, yeah. Okay. Huh. Noted. Noted. <laughs> and and moving forward now. <laughs> that's something yeah, you can't really bring up. You're like, oh, that's – I didn't think – yeah, the simplicity of it is – is, and an- another odd thing I always like to think about is um, 
we see again and again, right, with like Operation Paperclip or going in and getting the guys from Unit 731 in Imperial Japan. Another sort of dark realization is that whenever we are going against these war criminals or kind of rogue states, we do wipe out the the upper echelons, right, Nuremberg trials, except for the very upper echelon. We take them for their intel, and we kind of kill the rest or imprison the rest. But that's, a, oh, that's, that's let, let's go back to talking about the space stuff. That's where I'm. Going okay, 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 yeah, sure, yeah. Let's go back to that. No, got, it's. What do you think is going on with the X thirty seven B? Do you think um, exactly the same thing that's happened with countless things from Gemini through um, MISS through the um, various issues of Skylab? It's stuff is being tested um it's a it is sense it's a bit like podcasting or youtube they don't know what works they're going to send something up and give it a go the the foundation is they can bring it back down again uh and and have a look at what's going on it's exactly the same thing as you know i'll stay back to world war ii but it's exactly the same as we've invented um um rdf to help when the, the Germans are coming across the channel or we've discovered how to use this radio beacon to create the instrument landing system so we can bring in bombers in the dark. person did that was Arthur C. Clarke who went on to do some more book writing and film writing and became part of one of the most influential science fiction films in the world, but he also invented radar-assisted landing in World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, yeah. Um, and again, you're not going to tell anybody that. Yeah. Germans aren't going to go, ah, oh, they were shot up that plane, it will never get home, it can't find anything. Beep, 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 beep. There we go. So, you know, something like, um, you know, space is the high ground. Uh, and you go back to Sun Tzu and before that, you have the high ground, you have an edge. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. It is. It's, I've had on Tyler Morton, uh, he's an active US, USAF colonel who, who wrote... Um, uh, from from Kitty Hawk to or is it from Kitty Hawk to the U two, but it's this whole book about ISR intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance. He talks about uh, the the balloons in in the Civil War, and then World War One, the biplanes and all the importance of it, and the kind of just again, yeah, like early YouTube, just figuring it out. They were like dropping their like messages like on like you know they were writing what they saw and they'd throw it out of the biplane behind their own lines and someone pick it up and sometimes they try to like actually like like throw up it was it was insane but what we saw was it's the ultimate high ground and then you have to see with right 1947 the separation of the army air forces into its own branch the air forces because it was now becoming clear that this was such a yeah. such an important new uh, field or plane of existence of during for warfighting. Ah, nice pun, nice pun. Yeah, yeah, you got it. We needed a whole new branch for it, and now we're seeing that again now with the separation of the Air Force, and it's been a long time coming with the creation of the Space Force. It's the ultimate high ground. You have to be able to look down and see everyone, and it's it just it seems like the creation of the Space Force might have been the the early stages of a new sort of, I don't know what it would be, an arms race or something, but there's no way other nations aren't... Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson's book, uh, Accessory to War, he talks about just how absolutely invaluable space technology is. And once someone else does something, you have to keep up, just like the nuclear arms race in the Cold War. I feel like it's only a matter of time before we see a China 
Space Force and India. And I don't know if that's a bad thing. If Is it just driving us all to space? Is that a bad thing? It might be a good I mean, if we kill each other, it's a bad thing. But So here, here's, uh, here's I'm not going to touch on the war stuff, okay, but okay. Uh, in terms of should we all go to space? Yes. Yeah. And here's why. Because let's say you need 100 scientists to do your spacey stuff, or be it military, civilian, private business, private enterprise, whatever. You could just pick 100 scientists and hope you've got the best. Yeah. Or you could train 100,000 and pick the best 100. Okay. What do the other 99,900 99, do? They go into clean energy research. They go into education. They go into medicine. They go into construction. You suddenly, if you have a country that accelerates that educational process with a view to get the 100 best for the moon race, probably the best example, the amount of extra intellectual power you've created to find that has this huge balloon yeah. going on through. So when people go, what still did the space race ever give us back in the 60s and 70s? We spent all that money. Yeah. Give us everything. And, and you saw just the top slice went to the moon. Everybody else, well, you wouldn't probably have had the home computer revolution without some of those people going into business to create those early computers in 74, 75, 76, 77. Um, and at, you know, at that point, you, you come across those coming out of the college who've been trained by all these people, meaning up the businesses who've been built up on this stuff. And they crashed together in the early seven, late 70s, early 80s. And you have the home computer boom. You have your trash 80s, you have your, your Apple 1s, and you have your Apple 2s. America got slightly distracted because you went console-based, uh, and over in the UK and Europe, we spent another five or six years on actual play-around, um, actual programmable computers at home for gaming uh, before the PC sort of took off in the mid-90s. Mid uh, but you had this huge brain trust built up. So if it were, if there was to be an acceleration into space now... My opinion is that would be a great thing because you'd have to find a thousand, a hundred or a thousand really good people. And behind them will be another 99,000 really good people that have missed out by a fraction. Yes. And that's where the science and the discovery and everything will come from. Not that thousand that went to this base race. They'll, they'll do what they need to do. Um, and they'll work out how to build rocks on Mars so we can hide under the ground and be in a cave and go, oh, we're in a cave on Mars. Yeah, but it's still a cave. Um, <laughs> um, but we're on Mars. Uh, and at the same time, that extra brain power back on Earth can solve so many problems. Yes. Yeah. That, no, that's that's actually brilliantly said. Look at look at look at what we've done with the COVID vaccine. Yeah. Now, normally vaccines take ten years, and nine years of that is approvals and trials and legal stuff. But when it was needed, none of that was done. It was just like, right, we need the smartest minds to do this. And remember, they'd already worked out how to do RNA delivery. They did the hard bit of how do we get the body to accept the recipe was already done. All mm -hmm. they needed to do was find the recipe yeah. and then do trials and going through. Now imagine that you had 10 times the number of people working on a project and 100 times yeah. because there's been more people put through education. They've been supported through education. They're not they're going into education not know, knowing that they're not going to come out with 99 years of debts on student loans. Mm -hmm. You know, they can come out 
and they can just learn it. There's a, there's a lot to be said for social education and social as in, yeah, socialist, yeah. not we teach our teach everybody social education and, and social work. Um, although, again, the amount of advantages you could have on that when you look at mental health, mm-hmm. you know, the last you know, last fifteen months, I think we're all struggling yeah. a little bit, um, and I think you know nobody's come out of this. Is, will come out of this the same? Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people are going to be a lot more understanding about mental health issues, and again. That's going to be a great thing. Yeah. So, yeah, there are a lot of adversaries coming through, but I, I like to see the good side of all of these things. So, to, so I've had people, that's kind of a running joke on this podcast, is that I'm nauseatingly optimistic, but I don't see any other way to do it. I mean, and as I've kind of beat the drum ad nauseum on this podcast, in, in 2014, I lost my older brother to suicide. Mental health is very near and dear to me. And my, that, my, my my thoughts tonight. Oh, it's family that. members there as well. Yeah, it's and, but so you know that is one of the benefits I try to look. And people may say benefits, but I say yes, benefits. That's what I look at COVID as. Is I'm like, hey, the stigma of mental health. I would say took a severe blow in the last eighteen <laughs> months because now everyone's like. Everyone got a taste of something, anxiety about a job, depression because they couldn't have a social life. Everyone got a little taste of it. And that's not to say, ha, now you got a taste of your own medicine. No, it's everyone you go, oh, okay, okay, I get it. And I think we're going to see something positive come from that. And well, there, there the number of viruses that are out there that haven't had research on them. Mm-hmm. COVID has proven that, you know, we, we can actually take on a virus. This is one anything. of the first early, this is one of the earliest, not earliest, this is one of the first viruses where it's like science about, right, we need to stop this one. Mm-hmm. Now, there are so many more that would normally not be, let's, let's, let's choose one, they, they would normally be sexy enough to get the funding. But now, we've got far more building blocks. We've got this whole, oh, we can just change the recipe and switch out the RNA delivery system. And, you know, is there are many that can be addressed now. And, and I hope that that continues I fear that the, the companies will be looking more to turn a profit rather than to yeah. benefit that. But I suspect that's another whole hour or so with somebody far more experienced, knowledgeable than me. Yeah, it's there is the I mean, there is the beauty of it, of it's another kind of dark truth to accept as man. It's are we not at our best in the light of tragedy, be it Sputnik, be it or be it. COVID. I wouldn't call Sputnik a tragedy, not for the world. It was it was certainly for upsetting for, for, for that flag. Um, yeah, and and, and this and, and, our, and the UK as well. We will look up Blue Steel and some of the stuff we yeah. had going. Oh, we dropped the ball on that one as well. Um, but without Sputnik, you wouldn't have had that race to do Explorer One. Well, that's what I mean. Is that, that without, without sub- Sputnik, subjective you, tragedy? Yes, um, you can have short term issues, short term problems, but you can overcome those. You know, without Sputnik, would man have reached the moon before 1969? No. Without Sputnik, here's one for you, without Sputnik you wouldn't have had the space race. And the space race was all about, we've got better missiles than you. We've got better rockets. We can put more things in space. We can put heavier things in space. We can land things in space. If 
of Russia and America hadn't been doing that in the 60s, they probably would have spent more money on nuclear war warheads, better delivery systems, and found, pardon my French, another way to measure the size of their dicks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the space race was the Cold War, but it was also a really relatively safe way of conducting the Cold War. It was. was. When you think of it, there have been decisions by individuals, four or five that we know about over the last 30 or 40 years, they would have done nuclear war by mistake. Mm -hmm. The launch of Sputnik probably saved the world. (laughs) And without that, you and I wouldn't be here. That's actually, yeah, you're right. It 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 was a safe place to let off steam. Yeah. Instead of instead of every day having a D Day or a Battle of Berlin, it yeah. was who can who can launch farther, faster, better, quicker. Yeah. And there were a couple of warriors at each side and they were meeting in combat in the middle of the battlefield. Rather than having hundreds of thousands yeah. of soldiers crashing in the middle of the field like a medieval battle, it's a much more honorable way of doing things. Yeah. And when there were tragedies uh, on both sides, both sides acknowledge that there have been deaths on the other side. Um, even in the middle of the coldest period, you still had American astronauts traveling to the funeral of Russian astronauts. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was some time before uh, there were American astronaut deaths, but you then had Russian astronauts at those services um, as well, or at least uh, in the case of Apollo 1, I believe, at least passing over their condolences warrior to warrior Mm -hmm. as opposed to country to country Mm -hmm. so yep i can take your immediate point of sputnik was a bad thing but i actually think it was one of the best things that allowed us to see the 21st century well well that that's what i when i say bad thing that's what i mean is it's a it's a bad thing that that acted as a catalyst for innumerable great things and i mean you can only hope that it happens again with with some sort of space race, a space race 2.0, even if it's between private corporations, Blue Origin versus SpaceX, or if we get some real money behind it and do US versus CCP, the the, the payoff could be, I mean, we could advance 100 years of, of space development in 20 years. And now the downside is, is it, I, mean, I don't know, maybe it's nukes falling from orbit, but we've we've avoided that this far. I think we can keep 1968 um, space treaty. Um, you're not going to have nuclear weapons in orbit without a break of the non-proliferation treaty. Everybody's pretty hot on that one. Yeah, that, that's, that's true. But, you know, once once the bullets start flying, the treaties mean nothing. I'm with you. I don't think we should. I just tend to look at whoever's at the very top. I doubt the people at the top of the Pentagon I think they'll remember the lessons of the 60s and 70s and go, no, let's just put it this way. If you suddenly see uh, American business, American government, Chinese government all going, right, that's it. We're going to be first to Mars. Then you can just go, ah, there's our release file. There's our, there's our, (laughs) let it all out there. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's what I hope. That's, I think the best thing that could happen would be the private race for either asteroid mining or helium three on the moon. If if you I think can helium three profit, is a better chance than asteroid mining. The problem with asteroid mining is you've got far too much delta V to get back from an asteroid. Mm-hmm. Um, your helium mining, you already know how to get to the moon. You already need to know how to get back. If you're doing helium three mining, the chances are you're going to be able to. You've got to have ice on the moon. You're going to be able to crack it, hydrogen and oxygen from that. 
that's rocket fuel. Um, so, it, you know, it should be, again, easier to do that. And given that the moon is shared, much like the Antarctic is, um, it's, it's for everybody, but you have that bit, you have that bit, you have that bit. Um, again, it's a nice release valve uh, to, to go through there as well. Um, but again, you know, you're seeing the differences um you know, take Elon Musk, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, he's uh, here's a guy that made his money from PayPal, literally yeah. made his money from PayPal. Um, and he's decided to build rockets and go to this, that and everything and fly into space and do that. Okay, a lot of that stays inside his company. But the obvious one is battery technology. Mm-hmm. You know, from the Tesla cars to the battery that can sit inside of your house for solar panels and so on. That's technology that's going through. Um, people want to work from us, great. But again, you need to be in that top 1%. Everybody else, well-educated, well-learned, inquisitive, can go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And in a time where the American government took its eye off the ball and for a good decade, its only way into space was to buy a ticket on the so, Russian Uber. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, when you've got something like the Dragon X capsules, it's coming up, yeah, buy, pri- buy, buy, buy private business. But it's in exactly the same way as the US Postal Service started. Mm-hmm. Now, the US Postal Service was, as long as you get our letters from A to B, we'll give you this much money. We don't care how you do it. But don't kill anybody. You know, there's some basic, <laughs> there's some basic, basic parameters. parameters and stuff. Yeah. Um, but it was like, like, we just need to get this from A to B. Yeah. Um, and that started up with um, intercontinental travel in the US. Um, now, you do the same thing uh, with the space program. So you say, right, we're going to buy six, 50 seats to the International Space Station over the next two years. Give us those 50 seats. We want to do three at a time. We don't care how you do it, but here are the parameters. It's got to be safe, it's got to be reusable, blah, 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 blah. U.S. government isn't building its own space rockets, isn't building its own space capsules. But the U.S. government never built the U.S. It's building the space travel the same way that it built the U.S. PTO. Now, let's put aside the political stuff for the last couple of years that's been going on in U.S. PTO. I'm talking about the nice idealized mm-hmm. version here. You can do exactly the same with space travel. You can say, right, we just need seats to go from here to here. You want to get to the moon? Great. We want to you to move 10 tons of helium-3 from the moon back to Earth. We don't care how you do it. Here are the parameters. And here's a check. But only if you can deliver. Yes. I would love... Like the post office. Yeah, <laughs> like the post office. <laughs> I would, I would... And here's the thing. They could say it's not an exclusive thing. They'll just say, look, if you can do it, we'll buy it. And every company yeah. knows that it's not first to do it. It's just as long as you can do it, as long as you can move ten tons, we'll give you the ticket. Kind of, it's okay, it's kind of like warp speed with the with the vaccine. Here's the money; you can't be held yeah. liable. We need it. Yeah, um, and the, the parameters there, of course, were still going to be safe. We will indemnify sure. you, but it's got to be in those things. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, seats to the space station, seats to the moon, helium back from the moon. Do you think we'll see DARPA do that sometime in the next? year 10 years do you think we'll see an x prize of hey bring back 10 tons of helium 3 from the moon you can't hit I, any continents look um that would involve me having far more knowledge about certain things than i have so i don't know i would like wildly. it to happen but i don't 
think it will be that simple. Yeah. Um, and that's simply because most politicians only have a two-year cycle. They've got to wait for the next seats to Congress uh, and the Senate and then their own re-election. So, you know, unless something can be delivered in two years, it's not going to happen. This is where JFK did a really smart thing. He managed to do something that lasted for seven years. And beyond his... Three different political cycles um, delivered by somebody from the opposite party. That's what's needed. Um, But I I struggle to see how that's going to happen when certainly in America the red and the blue are so very, very far apart. You know, when the goal is, well, we're going to do everything different to the team that was in before, you can't... (laughs) Like That that means in theory that... Um, given your home in the orbit, you could go to the moon, launch under a Democrat, land on the moon as a Republican, and then come back as a Democrat. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we need... Who takes the credit? That's what... Well, it's that beautiful <laughs> quote. It's that beautiful quote, right? Brilliant things can happen when no one's concerned about who gets the credit. I I think that was... is one of the Russian... Um, uh, might have been one of the late... I think it, right. Okay, I can't remember which Russian mission it was. And it doesn't matter because we don't need to give credit. Oh no, we do give credit. Always <laughs> give credit. Uh, they they took off, um, and Khrushchev was in charge of Russia. And when they landed, Brezhnev was in charge of Russia. Yeah, there had been a coup while they were in orbit. In uh, yeah, yeah, in orbit. It's. But that's that is the if we had something and and you know I would hope you would have something like DARPA who kind of you know their their mo is that they're not they're not tied down by red tape they move very independently you would hope for something like that where you could either do I mean the best thing you could do would be like if Biden made a a, a JFK esque announcement by the end of this decade because no matter what if Biden serves two. If he serves two terms, he'll still be out by, what, January 20th, 2029. If he can just make a statement about the end of this decade to where it implies that it doesn't matter if I get it. That's what we need is you need to forwardly announce. And granted, it's very easy for me to sit here and my, behind a laptop and say what America needs to do. I get that it's a detached viewpoint. But if you just I, say, I think, though, that's, that covers most of the Americans with a laptop. Though. Every. I, a hundred percent of us across the board. hundred percent of us. So I'll just blend into the noise. But you would need something like that, right? Or maybe do you, can you move it even beyond the United States? Would it be a a U.S. U.K. thing? Could it be something in the face of China? Could we conjure up a boogeyman and say we need to do this to fight China? But there needs. Oh, that, there, there are a couple of ways. That obviously the, the the release valve there is something you talk about that we've got to beat China. Um, but at the same time, it could also be a joint mission with China. Sure. You know? Um, Beautiful. There's... Global warming. It, 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 it requires some... It requires a number of special, powerful connectors in politics yeah. across many disciplines and parties and countries to have that sort of effort. And remember, even the, the moon race in the 60s was still dogged by politics. Mm-hmm. You know, you, OBJ, you, yeah, kicking yeah. that money back you to know, Texas. Yeah, we're, we're going to have, you know, it's going to be Houston. Why is it in Houston of all places? Why are you putting it next to the rockets? <laughs> you know, what, why is it that you had two wonderful capsules built built by McDonnell Douglas and then it's like, right, we're going to build a moon capsule now. Great. Who's going to go for it? Well, we thought we'd give it to Northrop. 
What? What? Uh, That's how it works, baby. baby. Don't technology. Look, he had a a great plan for a follow-up to the uh, stealth fighter with a stealth bomber, but no, 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 we're going to share the money around, so we're going to build a B-1B up with Grumman. Yeah, you got to love... Grumman, Northrop. Yeah, you got to love the United States. We do practice perfect socialism when it comes to defense contracts. Doesn't matter who wins the... Who doesn't matter who wins the fighter contract, the F-22 Raptor, the YF-23 Black Widow. It doesn't matter who wins it. We're still going to say, okay, Grumman, you build the cockpit. Lockheed, you build the body and the avionics. General Dynamics, you get... We do practice perfect socialism when it comes to trillion-dollar defense contracts. Pity about medicine, though. Pity about medicine. Yeah, who um, needs medicine? We just need bombers, right? B-21s and everything. Um, we're gonna take off and bomb the COVID from the skies. Well, Do you see the problem with this? <laughs> and and this, that's the complete opposite to the post office thing. Yeah, of how the post office set up, which is just get it from A to B. We'll give you the money. Yeah. You know, nowadays it would be we want all the companies involved and different people working the sorting, and all the airlines are going to have a little bit of the distribution. So, you know, from from Denver to Cal- from Denver to Los Angeles, we'll give that to American. From Denver back to Chicago, we'll give that to United. Mm-hmm. You know. It's much easier to go. Bring us back ten tons. You get the money. Get done. We don't care how. But that's completely different to how she said there how the defence contraction system works at the moment. And that's why I think private business is more likely to be the first to land on Mars yeah. than an, a governmental organisation, yeah. at least from the US point of view. Yeah, a, a, a beautiful thing that I think kind of like the steam valve or the release valve is another sort of carrot you can dangle. Is so like how do you incentivize a guy like Bezos or Musk who already have more money than God? You could offer them even more money. I think what's going to drive them is they want that name in the history books. They want to be to Christopher Columbus. They want to be the Wright brothers. They want maybe not Christopher Columbus, but they want to be one of these guys. Yeah, I mean he directed the Harry Potter movies. Why would you want to be remembered as much as him? <laughs> and also, who's only the first two? You know, oh, you really want to be like Peter who did the third one. Uh, him, that's a much better direction. Yeah. That, I like that. Right, but you, you want to Why be... Why bring up Hollywood director then? You'd want to be, right? You'd want to be... <laughs> I love it. No, I know. I love it, man. Right? You want your name to be on like a, right, like a, J, like a Jamestown or something, right? That's what I think they want, is they want to become immortalized. They want to be a Washington. You don't want to be an Abe Lincoln or an FDR or whoever. You want to be Washington. Washington, D.C. I think that's what they want. They want a Bezos, a Musk. They want something that becomes blended into it. Because I think, what else can you give someone that has $200 billion? I think they want that. I think they want that name in history books. And again, that's just a guess, but... A quote I cannot attribute, unfortunately, but I'm sure somebody in the comments will do, is somebody was once asked, somebody in the public eye, what do you want to be remembered for? And his answer was, I just want to be remembered. Well, that's a dangerous precedent. Because <laughs> Hitler's remembered. <laughs> it's a wonderful trumpet player. Yeah. Yeah. He, hey, man, he had some uh, paintings, but he also did some other well-known things. And that's what you always have to watch for. Somebody who can, who's, who's incredibly right-wing, who can take a, a country that was basically left destitute after the, after a great war um, and... Turn it into a savage, yeah. genocidal machine. Yep. And we always need to be on the guard for that. That's, that's the thing that I've, I've, I've tried to think about. I've thought about it a lot. I've tried to break it down over hundreds of podcasts. 
But the why is it that that Nazi Germany? Why does why does that stick in our minds so much over a Genghis Khan, over a Stalin? And it's because of what you just said. It was it was one of the if not the centers of like high society of culture of modernity. It wasn't a bunch of if you see like a genocide in the middle of like Africa and its warlords, part of your mind kind of goes, eh, it was going to happen there. When you see kind of like a Germany, when you see this this modern cultural progressive place turn into the systematic tattooing and train carring and incineration and using hammers to knock the gold out of their teeth, you go, oh, right? It's one thing if it's one thing if there's a 9-11. It's another thing when you see, right, Columbine or Sandy Hook, when you go, wait, what? These two kids from the suburbs went in with a, with a machine gun? There's something that really sticks in our mind with that is you do have to stay. It shows that anyone can turn into that. One of the, I think one of the reasons that it remains a touchstone is that most of us, certainly of my generation would know people who fought in the war just said that i i have a very rough idea of the movements of my grandfather but he never talked about it but there was still a connection you know um the, the two things i can remember of when we went on a family holiday to italy when i was about five or six um and my grandfather was just like why are you going to italy it took me a long time to work out why he had that reaction okay um and yeah so it's like there is still that connection um, and it also is documented you know there's not that many years between the great war and the second world war yeah but the difference is there's a lot more documented about the second world war because that's when we started to get technology that's when there started to be this idea that you could you could share beyond it's like you had radio so you would hear from berlin you you would hear edward morrow talking about the state of the world war in europe back in america you didn't have any of that in any previous war you know you had newspaper reporting but it would be very much delayed but you would get real time on radio you'd get Pathé newsreels, I don't know what they would be called in America, but they would, they would have films filmed from the front, shipped back and put together. Clearly propaganda, of yeah. course, because, yeah. but there was an immediacy in society that the home front saw the front line and they'd never seen that before. And to a certain extent, because that was the first one, it had that visceral impact in the collective memory of humanity okay and i see what you're saying future wars you know korea and vietnam sorry korea was a police action uh and vietnam they were still there they're still known and they're still very much painful to individuals and families who had people there but it didn't have this visceral rip in society and then after the war the discussion of the Holocaust again was, you know, even nowadays, you're only one generation removed from people who may have experienced it. Mm -hmm. You're certainly one generation removed 
from people who went through part of it, be it home front, be it the front line, and going onwards. And I worry that we lose touch from that over the next five, ten years. Yeah. As in, in the same way that we only have four of the moon landing astronauts still alive, when they're gone, all those stories are gone. Yeah. We'll still be left with the all the radio broadcasts, all the tapes, all the documentaries, all the interviews they've done. But the actual people who actually went out there, who who drew their daughter's name on the sand, who smuggled a golf club head onto the top of a shovel just so they could just go, hey, miles and miles. You sliced it 50 yards, Al, they've done the maths. You know, we lose, once you lose that connection, you're left with whatever the history books decided was the right story. And people can... And World War II is the first war where we knew more than the history books. Okay. The history books wouldn't talk about individuals. So so my wife's grandfather, again, we don't know the story. He never talked about it. But from what we can tell, he was shot down over Germany and he walked back. And then he was shot down over Germany again. What the? <laughs> and he walked back the other way. <laughs> and then they went... Nope, that's as far as you're going. Um, but that's not written in the books, but you can find it. Um, yeah, we all know the film The Great Escape, certainly in the UK. I don't know how much of an impact it has in the US. But when you actually read about what they actually did in that war camp, because one of the prisoners wrote, wrote the book, Paul Brickhill, um, he, he was part of a, there was another escape. So here's the thing. You're aware of the great escape, Stalag Glove 3, 79 and 4. They didn't stop escaping from that camp while they were building that big tunnel. Because otherwise, what would the Germans have done? Yeah. Why are you all being so nice and gentle? You're meant to be the best escapers of the British army and you're not doing anything. What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they kept on doing other escapes. And there was an incredibly famous one called the Wooden Horse. Heard of it? No. So, first of all, <laughs> they built a wooden vaulting horse. Naturally. Pommel, pommel horse. Yeah. But, of course, it had solid sides. And they would take it out and they would leave it by the wire and they'd do their exercises and they'd jump over it. They'd knock it over and the Germans could see it's just a wooden horse and everything. And they'd just leave it out there all day and bring it in at night. After the first day or two, they put two people inside the wooden horse, took it out, and put it right next to the wire. Hundred yards away from the from the from the sheds, fifty yards away from the fence. They built a trap door out by the wire. And they started digging from this wooden horse. Oh shit. So then they bring the dirt in, hang it up in the horse put the trapdoor back down, take it back inside for the night. Next day, take the horse out, two more people in it, put it down, dig a little bit further. They had to go only a third of the distance because they were right next to the wire. (laughs) Again, there's a book called The The Wooden Horse. Um, There's a lovely British film by it, but I would go for the book because it also talks about what happens afterwards. And here's the amazing thing about it. You're going to write it down. Do you know the name of the author? 
Um, well, it was originally Paul Breaker, but he wrote it under a pseudonym at that point because he was, again, because it was not long after the war and they didn't want to say who he was doing and everything. I think it's Eric something. Eric, Eric Williams? Eric Williams, yeah. Okay. Three people went into the tunnel on the final night. Three of them got out the tunnel. Three of them got home. They had three home runs from the three. One of the most successful escape, multi-pole escapes from World War II. Yeah. And this was happening at the same time as they were planning what would be known in popular culture as the Great Escape. Okay. And again, there's two stories there. One of them you're completely familiar with because it's become the accepted wisdom. It's been part of society. It's part of the fabric. Even though there were no Americans in the camp, so who Stephen Queen is playing, I have no idea. Uh, he played the German uh, motorcyclist card. Steve McQueen on the motorbike is being chased by Steve McQueen wearing a German uniform on the motorbike. <laughs> there you go. But culture doesn't talk about the other escape that happened at the same time, the wooden horse escape. Yeah. But we still have that. We still have all of those stories. So we have a different, more wider knowledge of World War II than any other war. Yeah. And it, because of that, and then you had that fascination and you have all the war films in the 40s, 50s and 60s building through, it's built up, for want of a better word, this mystique. Yeah. Um, and that's why I think it remains a touchstone. Yeah. You know, if you think about the number of people who died in World War One, um, <laughs> you know, you think about all the people who died on, on the, the Eastern Front. Again, not really part of the sort of Western storytelling of World War Two, but it's all there. You, know, you, you very rarely hear about the fall of Singapore yeah. when you talk about World War Two. But again, it, it's all there. Uh, so you have this interesting dichotomy of this romantic view um, of of black and white. Um, and, you know, it was very, very black on one side, but it's war. It was very, very black in various respects on all the other sides as well. Uh, the obvious point there is Dresden. Mm -hmm. The firebombings. Uh, and the, the firebombings of Hamburg. Mm -hmm. um, well, the, the raids such as the 617 raid on the, the, the Mall and the Eder Dams uh, from 617, very much celebrated. Well, you know, there was a lot of people further down the valleys who were drowned. Yeah. Including Russian labor camp. Yeah. So, you know, it's very useful to grab onto things like that and use them as emotional touchstones nearly 80 years later. Um, and there's a danger in doing that. Yeah. Well, Let's wrap this one up. But Remember, yeah. folks, I was going to talk about Apple. We were, talking about, we were going to talk about the M1 and the M2, but I, I had to mention Charlie Duke, and we were off to the races. But that's what did I tell you right before we started? I don't like to have any parameters. I like to see where it goes. And that, I think that was far more interesting than anything we were going to talk about, man. Dude, I would love to have you back on. I would love to have you back on. We can talk about technology. I would also love to just have you back on and shoot the shit about World War II and space. That was your, your, you're a mesmerizing individual to listen to. It's very well, you've got some reading. You've got some reading to do I now. Do. I do. 
it's very rarely that I have a guest on where I, I am, I don't want to, because I talk nonstop. I love the sound of my voice, right? You're one of the few guests that I, I was actually intent on. I just wanted to keep, so you got it. That's, that's beautiful, man. That's the, I, I, if I'm not making it clear, it's the biggest compliment I can give. It's fantastic. Tell me something your listeners don't know about you. Something that my listeners don't know about me. I came to the edge of death about a day after my 29th birthday. Yeah. Medical reaction. Woke up in the ER. I was out for a couple of days. I was intubated. I was strapped down because I was fighting doctors. They thought I was going to die. And I won't go into it for, for familial reasons, but I came out of that. Had to literally had to work up, had to recover to the point where I could like walk up and down stairs and like breathe again. And that was the first night I had prayed in probably 15 years. And I, and I prayed to, to my deceased brother and to my deceased uncle, who also took his life, who was a surgeon at the hospital that I went to. And everyone knew him there. And it was the first time I had prayed in 15 years. And I said, I really need y'all's help because I have got to succeed at something and move out of my parents' house. And I started to realize it probably wasn't going to be graphic design. And the thing that I feared the most, which was doing something, whether it was stand-up comedy or talking or something, I knew that that was my strong suit. I knew that I could talk effortlessly. And I asked for guidance because I was terrified that I truly was coming close to death, closer and closer to death. And a couple months later, I started this podcast and I have not looked back. That's something I haven't brought I up. I find it podcast. interesting you said you prayed to family. I did. I prayed to my brother and and to my uncle Court. And I just... Sounds like the answer is good. I, I just said, I remember sitting there. I was praying to him and I was like, it was very informal. I was like, look, motherfuckers. I was like, I'm walking a tightrope between life and death. And graphic design wasn't working out. Writing wasn't working out. And I was like, I remember saying... I will do the work. Just show me what I need to do. I got into medical school in college. I was like, I know how to work hard. Just show me what I need to do. And that's what this was. And that's why every day I email at least one new guest who I've never emailed before. Most say no. Some, such as yourself, say yes. But that's the reason I don't slow down. That's the reason I don't take days off. Because I literally woke up in a hospital. And being, I remember my doctor said I was like did I knock on death's door and she goes you opened it up a couple inches and I remember thinking holy shit that's something I've never uh, talked about on this podcast oh, that's, thanks for saying that well, and I'm sure everybody's going to listen to that one I'll, I'll return the favor actually sure. uh, uh, so I've been about 10 to 15 seconds away from death twice in a week and in 2018 um, out of absolutely nowhere um, I developed epilepsy. Uh, I took the bin out one night. I came back in. I went to my wife. Ooh, I feel a little bit dizzy. Next thing I know, there was a paramedic standing over me. And I have 40 minutes missing. But effectively, what happened was I went to a full grand mal seizure, fell backwards onto the stairs, bit my tongue, was bleeding into my throat. And 
my wife was thankfully right next to the stairs when that happened. Otherwise, that would have been me drowned. They took me in a hospital. They said, mm, most people have that once in life, about 50% of people. Let us know. We'll set you up at the clinic. Let us know if it happens again. Got home on Thursday morning, Friday morning, Friday night. Just turned my wife. Here we go again. Rolled off the sofa, full grand mal fit. Arm and body trapped under the sofa, bleeding into my mouth again. And again, the only thing that saved me was I was able to be turned over by my family. It's beautiful. It's terrifying. No, it's beautiful. no, no more, you know, still the medication now. I've got to take one of these every yeah. 12 hours for the rest of my life. Yeah. I am on medication. Um, I'm on medication, man. I... Yeah. Let's all share medication. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've I've also got San Francisco Giants in the World Series, so yeah. you know, yeah. there you go. <laughs> well, man, I appreciate I appreciate you telling me that story. I've never had someone ask me that. What's some that I had to dig because I'm a very open book. I had to dig deep for that. Yeah, but, you know what's it's right, bugger when you got someone who's been yeah. doing interviews and podcasting for sixteen yeah. years on your show, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, fucking shucking, making me bring my A game. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? There is a dark beauty in what happened to you. Right, it was your wife's grandfather. Yeah. Shot down twice or walked back twice. Hey man, it looks it looks like you're just following in the footsteps. Do the impossible twice. Make sure you're still alive. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been a fun life. Still is a fun life. It's fantastic. There's, there's something lovely when you when you're on when you're on a business trip and your GPS says, Leave the Russian War Museum, walk across Red Square, turn right, you've arrived at your hotel. That's a story for another time, I think. <laughs> there's another, there's Life, life is. I can say this: the Hunter S. Thompson quote. Life has become the. I've, I've. Uh, what is it? Life has become immeasurably more enjoyable since I was forced to stop taking it so seriously. Yeah. Almost dying makes you go. Heh, you gotta, gotta fucking wing it. Yeah, I'll go with the, with the way that Spike Milligan always used to sign off his letters. He was one of the greatest comedic minds. The United Kingdom, the 20th century. He'd all sign off his letters LLP. So go on then. First of all, you tell me, have a guess what LLP means. With 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 love, learning, and philosophy? Pretty close, actually. You got one of those. He would always sign off with love, light, and peace. Okay. So let's just leave each other that way as well. Love, love light, and peace to you, Tommy. You as well, sir. Mr. Spence, or can I call you Ewan? Oh, you always can, yeah. Okay, I wasn't sure. I wanted to be safe. With love, light, and peace, Ewan. I cannot wait for us to do another podcast because I think we have a lot in front of us. Thank you, sir. God bless. God bless America. God bless Scotland. Recording stopped.